series on Christology, the study of Christ. That's what basically Christology is. And today we'll look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And within the resurrection, we will look at Christ's exaltation. Christ's exaltation. So I'll start by reading Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 to 19 from the English Standard Version. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, verse 19, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Well, Christ had to die, and when he died, he was to be buried. Our brother Sunday covered the crucifixion of Christ last week, and we saw uh, an in-depth analysis of what the crucifixion entailed, or what it means to us. When Christ was buried, he was to be resurrected, as was what was written of him in the scriptures. And the resurrection is central to Christianity. Without the resurrection of Christ, you take away a central part of the gospel message. You might as well present, or as you are uh, evangelizing the person of Christ or the preeminence of Christ, the pre-existence of Christ, uh, the incarnation with the virgin birth, you might as well present uh, the, the, the person and the work of Christ on the cross and end there. And that will not be a saving gospel. That is a missing gospel. It's, it's got missing links and it's an, an anemic gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 14 following, reads, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. That is the importance of the resurrection. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So the resurrection of Christ also entails his exaltation. And his exaltation encompasses his entire heavenly ministry, spanning from his resurrection to the final judgment. Yet Christ's resurrection marked a dramatic change. The God-man was exalted, and he received the name above 
every name. We see in this ancient hymn in Philippians 2, if we turn there uh, just quickly, uh, Philippians chapter 2, which is an ancient hymn. Uh, I'll read from um, verse 5, so I'll get a context. Philippians 2 verse 5, and I'll end at verse 11. The Bible says there that have this mind amongst yourself. So I want you to note something. In these few verses, you see the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. You see how Christ humbled himself. And when he did that, the results, by God's grace, by God's appointment, by God's decree, he was exalted. Listen to this. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, so there, there we go, that uh, humiliation, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, his exaltation begins. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. This is exaltation. So that at the name of Jesus, so before Jesus was humbled, he was humiliated, he emptied himself, and now he has been exalted by God. It's interesting that he was exalted, he was given the name above all names. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Welcome, the Mishamba Lopez. We're just starting on the resurrection and, uh, and exaltation of Christ. We just finished reading Philippians 2, verse uh, 5 to 11, that ancient hymn. So... As we highlight this aspect of Christ's ministry, uh, of his resurrection and his exaltation, we will firstly look at his resurrection briefly. The first thing is that his resurrection was tangible. What does that mean? It means that it actually occurred. It was a historic event. Uh, would you turn with me to Mark 16? Uh, Mark, the gospel according to Mark, verse 16. And I'll read from verse 1 to 8. Right at the end of the gospel according to Mark. When Sabbath was passed, so this is a historical narrative of the resurrection when sabbath was passed mary magdalene mary the mother of james and salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him 
That's Jesus. And very early on, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they, had, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So, Christ's resurrection is tangible because it has a historical account. And we see that in Mark chapter 16. We see that also in uh, Matthew, at the end of Matthew there. We also see that Christ himself did not just ascend to heaven undetected undetected just in case you don't believe what i've just highlighted on uh, the historical narrative which i would call a first tier uh, evidence we'll look at the second tier evidence uh, which is also covered in luke chapter 24 verse 39 to 40 that christ himself presented himself uh, not only is there a historical account, there's also Christ himself presenting himself to the disciples. And we, we, um, we read as he's uh, talking to the doubting Thomas. Uh, so, sorry, not the doubting Thomas. He's talking to the disciples. He says, see my hands and feet. Luke 24, 39 to 40. See my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And later on in that text, you see that he also ate with them. He said, give me some fish. Give me some broiled fish. Let me eat. So as to show them that this is the Jesus who was crucified just a, a couple of days ago this is the same jesus who said i will have got the ability to lay down my life and to raise it up again and so here we see the tangibility uh, of the resurrection in that jesus showed himself to the disciples in the account uh, according to John, John 20 verse 27, to the doubting Thomas who was doubting and wanted to really, really know whether this was the Christ, the Bible says, put your finger here, this is Jesus, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side, where he was pierced. Do not disbelieve, but believe. 
And this is what Charles Seddon Spurgeon says about the wounds of God, of Christ. Thy wounds, O oh Jesus, thy wounds. These are my refuge in my trouble. O oh sinner, may you be helped to believe in his wounds. They, ca- they cannot fail. Christ's wounds must heal those that put their trust in him. It is the treasury of Charles Seddon Spurgeon as he was preaching on the wounds of Christ, specifically the wounds. And he's saying these same wounds that were shown to the doubting Thomases and the disciples are the ones that are able to heal us. So, what are the implications? The implications of the resurrection, very quickly, I won't uh, spend too much time. I will just highlight two because there are so many amongst which you see that Christ defeated death. Christ defeated the devil. He defeated his enemies. Christ rose from the grave to, as a showcase, to make a a, 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 a spectacle out of his enemies. But uh, for the believer, particularly, we see it guarantees the believer's resurrection. There are people who who doubt whether they will be raised again. Even Christians, good Christians doubt whether they'll be raised again. In fact, some people think that by cremating their bodies, they are uh, <laughs> annihilating or exterminating, extinguishing um, all possible evidence of a human body. They think, oh, if we just cremate this person, they'll ne- we'll never see them again. Let's go and spread the ashes in the Zambezi. Let's go and spread the ashes somewhere else. And yet we see that they will be a physical, bodily resurrection. And how God would do it is a mystery, but it's something to marvel at. Because God, if we are to believe in the real bodily resurrection, we are to believe that God will assemble that flesh together and bring back that body to life so as to either be acquitted or judged (laughs) so as to either be if you're in christ you'll be acquitted you'll be pardoned this is my child i died for him on that day it will be not even about your works because your works are as filthy rags it will be about christ's works christ's finished works that you believe, you just believe you are you are you are saved by grace. God drew you to Himself, and you as a, you believed in, in 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 Christ in this Jesus, and He will acquit you. So there's a guarantee of uh, a believer's resurrection. If you've got time, you will note down. You read Romans eight eleven in your own time, First Corinthians fifteen twelve to fourteen. Colossians 1.18, uh, 1 Peter 1.3, and Revelation 1.5. Secondly, the implications of the resurrection is the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Jesus rose again for our justification. If Jesus had just died, he would have only dealt with our sin but not our guilt and yet jesus died and rose again so his his rising again was it was evidence that christ is the appropriate one 
to justify us and to forgive us. Not only did he die and pay the penalty for sin, he rose again so that we would overcome the power of sin. And yet he is also glorified so that when he returns, we will be saved from the presence of sin. <laughs> He'll take us home. We will no longer be in the presence of sin. This, this sin that continues to vex us and, and, and plague us on a daily basis. You, you ask yourself, what is going on with me? What, what's happening? I thought I was forgiven. You know, I thought I'm saved by grace. People have got this idea that if you're a Christian, uh, then nothing bad must go on in your soul. In fact, you should have peace, peace, peace. And they preach this. And yet they, they do not understand the full extent of the scope of things. That even if Christ has saved you, there is still the war that is there between the old man and the new man. There's still that conflict. It's still there. So we need also to be saved from the presence of sin. And we will wrestle sin until we die. That's, that's the good and bad news, uh, dear folks. Uh, that our sister, today you can, uh, you can be thinking that God has uh, uh, removed some sort of temptation from your life or sin. Only for it to come back again 30 years down the, the, the road. Or even for you to discover uh, newer pollutions that you thought you did not have. Right. We, we, we move on to the ascension of Christ, which is part of the exaltation of Christ. So when Jesus died, he rose again, right? Resurrection. He showed himself... Um, to the disciples. Uh, and this is where it gets very interesting. And magnificent. Uh, what is the nature of the ascension? Listen to Lewis Berkhoff. Uh, systematic theology. He says. Uh, the ascension. Was the visible transition. Of the mediator. Which is Christ. From earth to heaven according to his human nature. In other words, Jesus, after having resurrected from the dead, remember, was glorified. He was not only, mm, he had overcome death. He, 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 was, he was now um, in a state that would qualify him to enter the heavenly abode because he went to the cross he died and he rose again there are people that during uh, jesus's time and the apostle paul's time were raised from the dead remember eutychus paul preached and he fell and died and he was resurrected by paul Remember uh, uh, John chapter 11, Lazarus was re resurrected from the dead after having died for several days. But those resurrections were only a shadow uh, of Christ's resurrection. They pointed to a greater resurrection because Christ was not raised by a human hand. <laughs> 
He was not, someone did not come and say, up and leave. This was the power of God. The, the Holy Spirit, the power of God resurrecting our Lord. In fact, we know that the triune God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit were active in the resurrection of Christ because Christ himself says, I have the power to lay down my life and to raise it up again. But we also see that there is a sense in which the Father raised him from the dead. Because the Father is the one who now gives him the name above all names. The Father is the one that now exalts him. He, di he didn't exalt himself. He was exalted. That's why even in after the resurrection, it's interesting to know that the Great Commission is after the resurrection. Which now gives us more assurance and more zeal to go out there. Because he now says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You might even question, you have to, you might even be tempted to ask yourself, where was the authority in the first place? Well, it was there, but now fully realized and given to him uh, in, in this particular phase of, 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 of redemptive work. Jesus now has all authority. And we'll see what that means as because after the ascension, there's the session, right? The ascension is him being transitioned to heaven. <laughs> now there's the session where he sits at the right hand of the Father. I, I, I wanted to go into this, but I don't think it's, not, it's unnecessary. I, I don't think it's necessary. Um, how... Just even the intricate details of the ascension, but that's unnecessary. We see that the ascension itself was visible to the disciples. It was not something that was hidden. Jesus did not just disappear. And th there's reason for you to believe in the historical accounts of the ascension. Mm -hmm. Because people like you and I were witnesses. <laughs> the disciples, the witnesses, they, 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 there's historical accounts, there's evidence to back it up. Acts one, uh, I'll, write, I'll just, I'll read the Acts one account. It said when he had said these things, so he had just told them. They'd asked him, Father, when are you restoring? When is the Father restoring? Um, in fact, no, he said, they said, Lord, at, at, when, is, when are you restoring the, the kingdom? And he says, it is not for you to know the appointed times, but you'll be filled with the Spirit of God, with power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, and to the ends of the age, ends of the world. And he said these things as they were looking on, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. So Jesus went into heaven. There's a vertical ascent will come in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. Mm 
So he will come visibly. It's not going to be secret. The Bible says you come like a thief in the night, which signifies the fact that he will come when we are least prepared. But it does not mean that he will come incognito. <laughs> Jesus will not be incognito. Yeah. He will be fully visible to everyone. Even those who do not believe. That's why it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Either in shame or in worship. So, what are the implications quickly of the ascension before we move on to, to the session quickly? I'll just highlight a few. I won't go in depth. I think it's self-explanatory. It signified success in his earthly work. All that he had come to do, he had accomplished. So, dear friends, trust in the finished works of Christ. He has accomplished his works. It is finished. That's what he cried on the cross. Mm-hmm. And now we are in an exciting time in history that we may be those who witness the return of Christ. <laughs> we don't know. As the Bible says, you'll come like a thief in the night. It marked his return to uh, it marked the return of his heavenly glory. Um, Jesus' glory had been veiled during his surgeon on earth, with one brief exception at the transfiguration. And of course, other parts. I mean, his, his humility was also glorious. Uh, his humiliation. Uh, but Jesus performed glorious miracles to signify that he's God. But now he was glorified. He was going back to his, back to his heavenly abode to the right hand of the Father. Symbolizes exaltation by the Father. Ephesians 1, 20-23, uh, the one whom the Father is well pleased, Matthew 17, 5, was received up in honor and given a name above all names. He, what he says, a name above all names. It basically means that there is no name <laughs> under heaven through which men must be saved. That's what it means. Acts 4, 12. There is no... That's why Jesus, as I was thinking about this, is the most controversial figure in history. It's either people despise him or they love him. Or he, he is just someone who was hung on the cross. And then people try to uh, get sculptures of Jesus, put pictures on walls of Jesus, do all sorts of things, blaspheme the name of Christ. He's the most controversial figure in history. And yet he is, he was given the name above all names. His ascension allowed him to prepare a place for us. I go to the Father. It is to your advantage that I go to the Father. So that my, in my Father's home or in my Father's house, 
are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And also, if he had not gone, the Holy Spirit would not come, the Comforter, who was to judge the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, as it is written in John chapter 16. And also, you see in John chapter 14, there is an allusion to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If it was to your advantage that I go. Imagine that. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come to comfort you. I myself am going to do more work at the right hand of the Father. It indicated the beginning of his new work as high priest <clears throat> and mediator of the new covenant. He was the great high priest uh, and it set the pattern for his return. When Jesus comes to set up his kingdom in all his finality, he will return just as he left, visibly, bodily, and in clouds. It's written all over the scriptures, Revelation 1, 7, Matthew 24, 30, Daniel 17, 13 to 14, you know, 7, sorry, 13 to 14. And, and many people would argue, you know, how would Jesus come back by the evidence today in the scriptures? We can spend the whole day arguing. Let's just co conclude. On the session of Christ, which is part of his exaltation. The session of Christ is basically Christ being at the right hand of the Father. Sit down at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. That's what the Father said to, to Jesus. He's at a place of honor. He is at a place of exaltation. He is ruling. He is also continuing his mediatory work. And this is what Louis Berkhoff has to say. It deserves emphasis that Christ, while he's seated at the right hand of God, is not merely a passive recipient of divine dominion and power. He's not just sitting and slouching. <laughs> Um, majesty and glory, but is actively engaged in the continuation of his uh, meditatorial work. Christ continues to mediate. That's his heavenly, his heavenly session, his heavenly ministry, as if his work does not add to his work on, on earth, does not solidify our assurance, then his work in heaven will. Because even as the accuser continues to accuse us and our conscience continues to vex us, Christ is pleading with the Father because the Father is the one that needs to be appeased or must be appeased, he is the one who is doing that, that role. I died. I died. I resurrected. These are the people that you gave me. I was the propitiatory sacrifice. I appease you up. So that is Christ's work. It's not so... And Christ has left the Holy Spirit to add to the church. 
as he is there in heaven playing the mediatory role, the spirit is gathering from all corners of the world. As we preach the gospel and God is pleased to save people from sin and call them to himself, we see that Christ, that, that is a result of Christ's redemptive work. It is finished. The, there's a guarantee. <laughs> and the guarantor of our salvation, the seal, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 1, um, verse 14 and 15, is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who sort of is the signatory. The stamp of approval. Bah! that these are Christ's and they will be kept till the end, till Christ returns. There's no, in fact, for them, there's no end. It's all glorious. Even as they live now and they, and, and they are vexed with many trials and tribulations as they face death, uh, when, when they die, they'll be ushered into the glory and the presence of God. And they will be with the Lord. And when the Lord comes to judge the world, these will be resurrected. Souls united with their bodies. will be given glorified bodies. It's just a marvel. Some of these things, we cannot fully explain them. We cannot fully exhaust them. But dear friends, just in a snippet, this is what we have in the resurrection and exaltation of Christ. Amen. Amen.